It's the next level. My name is Robert Hawkins. It's uh, 6.42 a.m. on Saturday, May 23rd. Approximately seven hours ago, something attacked the city. I don't know what it is. Uh, if, if you found this tape, I mean, if you're watching this right now, then you probably know more about it than I do. Uh, we've crashed here in Central Park and taken shelter under this bridge. Uh, the military has begun bombing the creature, and uh, we're caught in the middle. Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying, you know, violently? I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. Violent content. Parental discretion is advised. You know, it's true what they say. That nothing lasts forever. December 2020. Mandalorian has its season 2 finale. Air on Disney Plus and Star Wars fans around the world were united in joy and happiness. Luke Skywalker came back, made an appearance. We had R2-D2. They were united with Grogu, and everyone was happy about it. Fast forward seven and a half months later, the series The Bad Batch. It's a great little series. It's an animated show. There's a reason why it's a series on a streaming network and not being put in theaters. I mean, personally, I kind of like the idea of a series narrative more these days. But that being said, I mean, there's a reason it's being done this way. Not every episode is going to be a banger, you know. But, But I mean, seriously, this most recent episode that came from The Bad Batch was really good. Featured a familiar face from Star Wars Rebels. And you would think this would make most people really happy. You know, it was a a character that everybody loves. And hey, we get to see them younger and we get to see sort of like their origin story that we kind of didn't get in Star Wars Rebels. No, of course not. (sighs) The days with Star Wars fans not being insufferable idiots. uh, Sad to say is long gone again. I mean, not everybody. Don't get me wrong. Um, I've seen a lot of positive being said about the Bad Batch. But, I don't know. I guess my whole thing is, is what I don't understand is if you don't like a certain show or a certain property or whatever. You know what I mean? Why are you watching it? 
do you watch it specifically so you can say now you have a reason to tear it down? I mean, don't you have something better to do with your life? I, I, I don't know. This coming from a guy who talks about movies week after week, but I, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't get it. I was really happy with the most recent episode from The Bad Batch. You know, I, I think Dave Filoni does great work with the Star Wars universe, but this isn't a Star Wars podcast and I'm not here to bitch that much this week, so... From the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero, we are one more episode closer to 100. Welcome back, everyone, to What, what Lurks, Lurks Behind, Behind Podcast, Podcast Zero. Zero. And I am your annoying host, Postmortem Paul. And okay, so let's get right into this. Because I got a bit to talk about, about some different movies and shit that I watched recently. And one kind of ties in with the whole intro. Uh, the whole Star Wars thing. I actually did that for a reason. So, anyways. First things first. Last week I talked about Fear Street Part 1. And the one from 1994. And, you know, I was I was impressed with it. I liked it. I thought it was, it was a good movie. Well, this past Friday we got Part 2. Part 2, uh, 1978. Uh, basically a summer camp movie. And I have to say that this one I liked. Okay, so part one was good. Part one, But part one I get why it exists. It needs to start the story. I know it's weird how the Fear Street movies are going backwards in time instead of forwards. But it works. Because you need... 1994 to start so that when they're going back in time it unrolls it rolls out the story basically so part one was good but this one i have to say part two 1978 i enjoyed a lot more for a couple of reasons number one i felt this one was edited a bit better not that the first one was bad but the bad the bad one the first one i don't know why i called it a bad but <laughs> the first one seemed like there were times when it was wonky um not horribly but it just didn't seem like it had a perfect flow this second film 1978 flows beautifully right from the beginning right to the end it's got a perfect editing for it Uh, it felt more natural um there's the other thing it does differently okay 1994 as i mentioned last week within like the first 15 minutes it's like they just like hammered all these 90s songs out you know so you knew it took place in 1994 this time around there there is 70s based music but it's not an overload all at once it's kind of spread out more throughout the episode like the the movie i almost called an episode but the movie which it makes it seem like less in your face and it's more grounded in a a more i say reality based world but i mean it definitely feels like it's a 1970s movie which was kind of good but the movie the music wasn't all all at once um so i like that uh definitely some nice nods to the camp slashers of the 80s i and i say the 80s because like a lot of them friday the 13th the burning sleepaway camp they all came out in the 80s yes they were about you know summer camps and whatnot and i understand that this one takes place in 1978 but i mean 
where it, it works. There's a nice mixture of blood and gore in this one. And I mean, some of the killing is brutal. Like, like, okay. And I take nothing away from these movies because obviously I grew up and I loved them so much. But like the Friday the 13th, Jason sometimes never seemed like he was brutal. I'd slit someone's throat, but he seemed like he did it with ease. And there was not, there wasn't a, 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 a brutality behind it. The killer in this movie, like when he starts axing people, like you see that axe flying. He's like fucking vicious. And I kind of really like that. I was like, now that would scare the shit out of me. You know what I mean? Especially like when they show that like other characters are witnessing the carnage. And I'm like, that would scare me. Like if I saw that in front of me, yeah, I'd be like, um, I'd probably piss myself. Let's be honest. I mean... And I will also say that 1978, okay, 1994 had a decent cast. 1978 has a way more likable cast. Um, like, like I said, like the first film was okay, but I really enjoyed this one. Um, I will say, I think her name is Sadie Sink. She's uh, the one who plays Mad Max or Maxine in uh, Stranger Things. She's in this film. She's got a good future ahead of her. Like, her acting feels very natural. There's times when you almost don't think she's acting. Like, it, it just really flows naturally. So I definitely like that. I will say this, though. I probably wouldn't recommend a drinking game for this movie. Um, much like I kind of made fun of the Candyman trailer for saying Candyman over and over and over again. Um, like, I, I made fun of that last week. Well, this week... Um, when you're watching Fear Street Part 2, uh, pay attention to how many times the word witch is uh, uttered in this movie. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, if, if you were to do a drinking game to every time they say the word witch, you're probably going to die of alcohol poisoning. Um, just, you know, just saying, um, because, yeah, I'm not going to lie, though. It was, a, it was a great movie. It was a lot of fun. Um, I, it, it just kind of made me laugh. Um, it was somewhat funny and I say funny because I can't really think of another way to put it but it was just it was humorous the amount of times I said the word witch monster was another word that got used a lot but it seemed like the word witch got used a lot first part was good the second part is a lot better looking forward to the third uh this one if I had to give it a rating let's say seven and a half out of ten it's definitely decent Moving on to the next thing I watched. So, I've seen this movie. I picked it up on DVD. Pretty cheap. Caught my attention. Um, It was funny because I read a few reviews about it prior to watching it. And it seems like it's not a beloved film. But it was really well received in the, the festival circuit. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to give it a chance. This movie was called uh, The Deep Ones, based on H.P. Lovecraft's writings. Uh, It's a movie from 2020. And so, I mean, I guess a lot of its premise is based on the Cthulhu mythos um, and the shadow over Innsmouth, uh, which, I mean, we've seen that before, right? There's the movie Dagon. Dagon was a lot of it was based off the shadow over in his mouth. So, um, this one, the deep ones is kind of like, it's not bad, but it's not great either. It's kind of a mid-level movie. Um, there's obviously 
HP Lovecraft films that have been a lot better, but there's been ones that have been a lot worse too. So I'll say that. I mean, the story is decent and all. Um, it's definitely low budget. And they did attempt to modernize it a little, which sometimes doesn't always work. I will say, though, this movie's not a dumpster fire. Um, the acting, uh, two of the actors really stand out. Uh, Robert Miano, who you guys might know him if you've ever seen the movie Donnie Brasco. He was Sunny Red. Uh, he plays the character of Russell Marsh. He's phenomenal. Um, <laughs> he's definitely the highlight of the movie because he's got like a gentle look to him, but he's like strange and creepy. Um, he somewhat reminds me of like the preacher in Poltergeist 2, but not as scary. I mean, I got fucking preacher in Poltergeist 2 is nightmare fuel. Okay. Like, but R Miano does a good job with what he's doing in this, in this movie. Um, the other one is Gina La Piana. I think I'm saying her last name right. La Piana. Um, she plays Alex or Alexandria. Um, she's quite solid. I mean, at the beginning of the film, her acting seems eh, a bit off. But I think it's also because the, the relationship between her and her on-screen husband... Um, at first, it seems like they're trying to establish something, but it seems like they're trying too hard to establish it. But, I mean, because it's supposed to be that she's married to her husband for three years, yet they're acting like they're newlyweds. I know it's their anniversary and all, but it just, it, come, it comes off a little too, um, like, too strong, where it's not as natural. Um, but as, as the movie progresses on and her character becomes more wise to what's going on and the whole cult thing around them and whatnot. Uh, she really comes into her own and performance is a lot better. Um, in terms of actors, there is one famous name in this, Kelly Maroney. Uh, you probably know her from Chopping Mall or Night of the Comet. Um, she has a small role in this. She's playing some mother who's like crazed out because her daughter's missing. And I, I have to say, like, despite it being a small role... She does kill it. It's pretty solid. Um, she definitely comes off it. I mean, if, if you didn't know that, you know, she's actually telling the truth, you would think she's like batshit crazy, but she does it well. I'll give her that. I, unfortunately, it's very small. She's not in the movie very much, but she's there. Um, effects wise, not bad. Uh, it's practically, uh, practically, uh, primarily practical effects in this one. Uh, very limited until the end, though. The music is by Richard Band, which right there, that's... Richard Band is an amazing composer, so the music is awesome in this. Absolutely, he delivers the goods. Uh, no complaints in that department. But overall, I mean, let me put it to you this way. The, the Deep Ones is... It's worth a watch. I definitely recommend at least giving it one shot. Uh, but it, I mean, if you want Lovecraft, you got to stick with the, you got to stick with the best, right? You're talking reanimator from beyond color out of space, uh, resurrected. I just watched that last night, actually. Um, at Dagon, those, those are your, your heavy hitters, castle freak. Um, but the deep ones, well, it's about a five and a half out of 10. Like, I mean, it's, it's more better than it is not good you know what i'm saying so there's that now okay so i mentioned at the beginning of this 
episode about Star Wars and I said how, you know, fans have become insufferable again. Why do you watch something if you know you're not going to like it? Okay, so here's my thing. Netflix released a little four-episode series called Resident Evil Infinite Darkness. And unless you're a real fan, you'll love this movie. You'll love this series. It's so awesome. But if you're a real fan, you'll hate it. It sucks. It's all politically driven. And... And, and it, it's just like a bunch of stupid cut scenes. Okay. So, the trailer already had shown that this was going to be another CG animated. Well, it's a series this time. It, I'll be honest, this is the one complaint I've seen from a lot of people that I'm kind of in the same boat as them. Is that why break it down into four separate episodes when cutting out the credits and just putting it together is one full piece it's about the length of your animated movie so i get the feeling it's kind of like it was an animated film they decided to chop it up in four parts and say here's a series i will agree with that but the trailer showed it was cg animation you knew what you were getting by the looks of it already so you can't complaining about the aesthetic of it makes no sense to me Saying that it's like a bunch of cutscenes, well, it is CG animation. And to be fair, I think it looks a lot better than most cutscenes, so no, not going along with that. In terms of the political part of it and whatnot, okay, I kind of get what they were trying to do. You know, the whole China didn't create the virus, and China is bad, USA is good, and stuff like that. Yeah, I get it. Some people are going to complain about that, but... It's just, it's a stupid animated story. I don't know why we take things so seriously. It is predictable. I'm not going to lie. It's definitely predictable. But then again, it's a Resident Evil story in in a Resident Evil universe that has had many stories told. And I've said this before about other zombie properties. How many more times can you try and recreate the zombie genre? Like, unless unless you're something like Train to Busan, it's very rare that a movie or a property about zombies comes out and it's completely original. Oh my god, we've never seen this before. The thing is, is it's four basically 20-minute episodes. Either you want to watch it or you don't. It kills some time. Who the cares it's about leon and claire which are two beloved characters i know i saw some people saying oh i'm tired of leon and claire then don't watch it like you knew that's what you were getting i don't i don't get this thing where we watch something and then we already know we're gonna hate it but we're gonna watch it anyway so we can bitch about it it's like people saying i'm gonna vote so then i have a right to complain about our country's leader like no, shut up. Like, stop taking yourself so seriously. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I come on this show week after week and I talk about shit. And I don't take myself seriously, though. But, I don't know. I, I liked it. I liked Resident Evil Infinite Darkness. I didn't mind it. I came away from it going, well, that was pretty cool. I like the little subtle jabs that, you know, like the social commentary of it and whatnot. 
But at the same time, it was like it was a, a solid story. It was nothing. I, I mean, like I said, I wasn't expecting it to recreate anything. I just wanted a Resident Evil story. My only complaint, like I said, why break it up into four pieces and just release it as a movie? Because the annoying part of it was, was that I had to keep like at after every 20 minutes go, yes, next episode. <laughs> it was like, if you just made it one long movie, I could have just watched it all in one shot. But I mean, I'm, I'm not going to complain about it. But then again, I mustn't be a real fan, you know, because, you know, if you're a real fan, you won't like this. No, if you're a real fan, um, you'll know what you're getting into and either you're going to want to watch it or you're not. But whatever, because apparently fans love to be insufferable fucking bitches. It's a 6.5 out of 10 for me. Anyways, now on to New York City 2008 for episode 99. I know I didn't announce what the movie is. Because this week, the movie is, well, let's put it this way. One, there's a lot to talk about. But two, it's a mainstream flick. I know. Uh, I don't do the, well, I mean, I do them often. But this one was, like, big. This was a, a blockbuster hit. This one was J.J. Abrams not playing in the Star Wars universe. You know, I realize this episode really has a lot of throwbacks to Star Wars. But, um... Yeah, this is this is a film where, you know, you know, our our city around us is collapsing and our friends are put in peril and everything is our whole reality is changing and we have to keep filming it. We can't help people, we're just going to film it. Well, actually it sounds like, you know, 2021. But anyways, from JJ Abrams, well, produced by anyways and directed by Matt Reeves, this week we're going to be talking about Cloverfield which I'll be honest with you I love this movie so <laughs> again another week where I talk about a movie that I love but no um I got to admit this movie almost feels like it was a little ahead of its time or did it come out just in time we'll talk more about that after the trailer timeout back in a splat fiends He's here. Let's go. What is this for? It's for Rob. Say something to him before he leaves. Rob's awesome. I'm gonna miss it. Rob, have fun in Japan. You owe me $11. Well, how are you gonna survive without Rob? He's like your main dude. Yeah, no. Hey, how am I gonna survive without you? I don't know. I'm like your main dude. Phone calls are pouring into the New York One newsroom it as a thunderous, roaring sound. Can you see something on the roof? What animal sounds like that? Shaking everywhere, man. It's like tremors. Looks like you should have left town a little bit earlier. It's alive, it's huge! 
Before we get into this review, I uh, just quickly wanted to say something uh, in regards to my comments earlier about Star Wars fans, by the way. I, I know I um, I tend to sometimes come off pretty harsh about that, especially when I say they're like insufferable twats and whatnot. Um, I do want to also explain, though, that like the kind of people that I'm like directing that at are the people that know they're going to hate something, but they watch it anyways just so they can bitch about it. I'm not saying that you can't have an opinion where you don't like something. I mean, a perfect example is like the Blair Witch Project. When I went into that, I wanted to love it. I thought it was going to be awesome. And then I got the movie that I got and wasn't very impressed about it, like impressed with it. That's okay. That It's perfectly fine to, you know, want to love something and then have it disappoint you. Shit happens, man. The point I'm trying to make when I was talking about that is... The people that know damn well they've already got it set in their mind they're going to hate something. And people that, like, you know, they have this air about them where it's like, well, I know it's going to suck, but I'll give it a shot anyways. Well, then you've already got your mind halfway made up. Those are the kinds of people that bother me because then they take to the internet and try to act like they're superior when they're not. None of us are superior. I Trust me, I know I'm not. Um... I say it every week and I'll say it again. <laughs> Stupid guy pretending he's smart. But the thing is, is that that's kind of what I was getting at. Um, just so that, like, you know, because there's some people that may have watched The Bad Batch or, you know, even this movie that I'm about to review, Cloverfield. And, you know, they might not have liked it. That doesn't mean that I think you're insufferable. My thing is, is that I don't understand why we intentionally go out and try and tear each other apart or tear something down when we already knew we weren't going to like it anyways. That's kind of my point, and now it's time to move on to Cloverfield. This is one of those found footage movies, which I am not a fan of found footage movies, but did I like this one? Well, I kind of already told you I did, but anyways, Cloverfield was released January 18th in 2008. And it was directed by Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves has worked on several different projects. Uh, he did the remake of Let the Right One In. The movie that was called Let Me In. He did that. He obviously did this movie, Cloverfield. He did two of the three Planet of the Apes films. There was Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and War for the Planet of the Apes. He did those two. And he's Currently, we all know he's working on the new Batman movie. He's also executive producer for 10 Cloverfield Lane and the Cloverfield Paradox. The movie was written by Drew Goddard. Drew Goddard who, uh, has worked on a lot of... Um, what's the guy's name? Joss Whedon. A lot of his stuff. Uh, was a, Well, Drew was the director of The Cabin in the Woods, which is a movie I talked... Wow, that one goes back to, what, episode 11 of the podcast? When I had a, a special guest, uh, Jeff Cassetta, on the show. 
Yeah, <laughs> that one goes back. Um, Drew also worked on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He worked on Angel, uh, World War Z, and he uh, was the brains behind the Daredevil series on Netflix. That's a great little series, by the way. I got to admit, the Netflix Marvel series, like Daredevil, Punisher, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and Defenders, obviously, when they all came together, um, doesn't get enough credit. You know, everybody's always... uh, There's been a lot of focus lately on Black Widow, obviously, because of, you know, them dropping the movie that I still haven't watched. Maybe I'll get to it this week. Maybe I won't. Don't really care. Um, unless you're Loki, I really don't give a shit. But, yeah, those, uh, Marvel shows from, uh, Netflix. I mean, okay, Iron Fist, yeah, I get it. Some people were a little thrown off by that. But, I mean, I've always said, like, when Danny Rand makes the appearance in Luke Cage in the second season, that's fucking Iron Fist. (laughs) More of that. But, anyways, we won't get any of this stuff. So, moving on to the producer of Cloverfield. J.J. Abrams, the director of The Force Awakens and The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, More known for his producing roles, obviously, like Joyride, uh, the TV series Alias, uh, Star Trek movies. He's done Star Trek, Star Trek Into Darkness, and Star Trek Beyond. Ten Cloverfield Lane, Cloverfield Paradox, Overlord. Overlord's a good flick. Castle Rock series. Hmm. That second season was mm, fucking mint. Uh, Westworld has been involved with that. And most obviously, most people know J.J. Abrams' name, not from the Star Wars stuff, but from the TV series Lost, which, from the Next Level Network, the podcast, we have to go back. That's the basis for that podcast. It's a week, every episode is another episode from the the series so yeah jj abrams but where did jj get his start oh oh wait i think i've talked about that before refer back to episode 68 of the show when i reviewed a little movie by the name of night beast yeah jj was the composer for the score for that film um yeah i believe he oh what was it he Oh, what was the name he went by, though? Is it Jeff- Jeffrey Abrams or something? He didn't go by JJ. But, yeah. Gotta start with Night Beast. Moving on to the cinematography. Director of photography was Michael Bonvillain. He's worked on other films like When the Bow Breaks, The Last Marshal, uh, From Dust Till Dawn Part 3. He worked on that. He worked on the Alias TV series. He worked on Lost. Uh, also worked on Zombieland, Hansel and Gretel, uh, Witch Hunters. He did four episodes uh, from uh, the From Dust Till Dawn series that was on El Rey Network. I love that show, by the way. That was, I thought it was really well done. There's a few complaints about it, but I thought it was really well done. And uh, Bombillan is working on the upcoming Peacemaker series starring John Cena. I believe that's spinning off from the Suicide Squad movie that's coming out. Music for Cloverfield. Wow! There's a closing theme for the movie uh, by Michael Giacchino, but the film has no score. 
no score to talk about due to it being a found footage film. Uh, and they wanted it, you know, feeling real worldy and whatnot. The, uh, the no music for this film. Right from the beginning up until the final credits, there's no music. Well, I mean, there's music when they're at the party, but that's like, it's like background music, of like some mixtape or something, you know, that they're playing or DJ or whatever. But no film score for this film. Your starring cast. It's a quick little cast. Um, starting with, okay, so we'll start. I, this was tricky. I was trying to put them in order of most important to least important. And to be fair, I mean, like the five New Yorkers or whatever you want to call them, um, there's really no actual lead role. So I kind of try to figure out who to put first and who to, you know, whatever. Um, starting with Michael Stahl, David as Rob Hawkins. Rob is the guy they're throwing the party for. So I felt, okay, let's make him... The first one we talk about. He was also, um, we've seen him in season three of the Netflix series Narcos. Well, I say that I didn't, I haven't seen season three. I watched the first two seasons and then I just forgot about it. It wasn't because I didn't like the show or anything. I just kind of forgot it was there. Um, and he was also in the 2008 film, The Project. Sort of the same premise in terms of like the project was movie about like a bunch of filmmakers and in this you have them filming something that's going on so it's kind of similar idea very loosely (laughs) uh moving on to beth mcintyre and beth mcintyre is the girl that rob is in love with and she was played by odette useman although nowadays she's known as odette annabelle um, Annabelle is her married name. Usman was her maiden name. She's been in a lot of shit. She was also in Kindergarten Cop. I believe she was one of the kids back then. Going back, she was in uh, the 2007 Transformers movie. She was in the movie The Unborn from 2009. That movie also starred Gary Oldman, Idris Elba, uh, Carla Gugino, and James Remar. Um, she was in the movie And Soon the Darkness with Carl Urban and Amber Heard. I'm always afraid to say that name because everybody hates her so much. But, I don't know, I think she's a good actress. Whatever her personal life is, is her personal life. It ain't my business. Uh, Odette was also a TV series regular in season 8 of House. House MD, she played Dr. Jessica Adams. And she was in the CW show Supergirl. Season 3, I believe. She was the character of Rain. And it was funny because, you know, I never put one and one together. So when I was watching Supergirl way back in the day, I don't watch it anymore, but when I was, I kept thinking she looked familiar. And I mean, I knew her from Cloverfield, but I just couldn't place the other thing I had seen her in. And it's actually House. I forgot she was in that Okay, so thirdly, we have T.J. Miller as HUD. Uh, Cloverfield is basically his debut into show business. This is where it all started for Mr. T.J. Miller, who is also a part of How to Train Your Dragon, Get Him to the Greek, 
Transformers, Age of Extinction, Big Hero 6, Deadpool and Deadpool 2, and Ready Player One. He was the voice of IROC. Jessica Lucas as Lily, who Jessica is a Canadian actress born in Vancouver. She's not a New Yorker because this movie takes place in New York. But anyways, yes, Canadian actress. Um, I'm going to say this now. I'll just put this out there because there's no point in beating around the bush. I think she might be one of the most beautiful women in film and TV. Yes, I have a slight little celebrity crush on Jessica Lucas. So we got that out of the way. She was also Vampire Girl in Halloween Town 2. She was in the movie The Covenant. She was in the TV series Melrose Place. Never watched it. I just knew she was in it. Uh, she was the character of Olivia in the 2013 Evil Dead movie. The one that we kind of call a remake, a sequel. We don't really know what it is, but it's awesome. Uh, she played Tabitha Galavan in Gotham. I'm not going to lie. I love the series of Gotham. I know everybody was like, it's changing the Batman canon. I don't care. I loved it. thought it was awesome. And she's currently playing the character of Billy Sutton in the TV series from Fox known as The Resident. Moving on to Mike Vogel as Jason Hawkins. And Mike, this is not his first time in the horror genre. He was also in the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. He was in the movie Poseidon from 2006. He was in the TV series The Bates Motel. He was in the movie The Boy. And recently, in 2020, he was in the, I guess it's a horror film, Fantasy Island. I haven't seen it yet. I've, been... I've heard to watch it, and I've heard some people say, stay the hell away from it. So I'm kind of just deciding when I will eventually tackle it. Okay, so we have Lizzie Kaplan as Marlena, and she's been in movies like Mean Girls and Hot Tub Time Machine. She was in The Interview from 2014, the movie with James Franco that had all that controversy about because, oh, it had the North Korean leader in it and whatnot and bullshit. And, okay, whatever. But um, in my opinion, her best role that I've ever seen her play in was when she was in season two of Castle Rock as Annie Wilkes. I'm sorry, she fucking killed it in that. I mean, in this movie, she's like kind of just there. Like, I don't mind her, but I don't hate her in it or anything like that. But when it came to Castle Rock season two, I fucking loved Lizzie. I thought she was amazing as Annie. Moving on to small role, but worth talking about. Uh, Theo Rossi as... Antonio, he's basically we see him at the party at the beginning of the film. And that's about it. He's not in the movie very long, but uh, Theo was also from Sons of Anarchy. He was Juice. I loved him as Juice in, in Sons of Anarchy. Great little series. Um, I say little. Yeah, they had quite a few episodes. But anyways, uh, he was also in Luke Cage. Most recently, he was in Army of the Dead, the Zack Snyder horror flick. Uh, he was also in the House of the Dead 2 TV movie, which is really bad. But I mentioned it because Ellie Cornell from Halloween 4 and Halloween 5 was in it. Sid Haig was in uh, House of the Dead 2, as well as Sticky Fingers from the rap group Onyx. 
remember who Onyx are. It actually, his real name is Kirk Jones, but um, I bring him up because he played Blade in the 2006 series from Spike TV. Yeah, there's my little I know something, make me sound smart kind of thing that I had to mention. Moving on to Billy Brown as Staff Sergeant Price, who also is in House of the Dead 2. Um, the movie's horrible. Yes, we know, but it had a lot of great names in it. Um, Billy Brown was also in Race to Witch Mountain, and he played Detective Mike Anderson on Dexter. And finally, Ben Feldman as Travis. Travis is the new guy who shows up with Beth to Rob's going away party and sets Rob down a spiral of self-woe. Um, but anyways, yes, Ben was also in the 2009 Friday the 13th film. He was in the movie As Above, So Below. And the science fiction film 400 Days with Brandon Routh, Katie Lotz, and Tom Cavanaugh, all from CW shows, along with Dane Cook and Grant Bowler. Grant Bowler was in the... Oh, what was that fucking... Ooh, shit. Um, Defiance, but I'm trying to remember what network that was from. Fuck, can't remember. I love Defiance. I hated that it ended at three seasons, but whatever. But he was in that. Okay, so. Rated PG-13 for violence, terror, and disturbing images. The runtime is an hour and 25 minutes. Take away the credits, it's an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, budget was $25 million and the box office was $172.4 million. Your synopsis for Cloverfield. As a group of New Yorkers enjoy a going-away party, little do they know that soon they will face the most terrifying night of their lives. A creature the size of a skyscraper descends upon the city, leaving death and destruction in its wake. Using a handheld video camera, the friends record their struggle to survive as New York crumbles around them. It's basically Godzilla, honestly. And when you think about it, just take away the handheld video camera and it's that 1998 Godzilla terrorizing New York City. No, okay, whatever. It's different from that, obviously. This segment of the show, you know, I always call it like Notes from the Underground, but I give it like some spin on it or whatever. This week, I just called it Bring Me the Head of the Statue of Liberty <laughs> because that's where it all started. Um, that, that first initial teaser trailer showed us the head of the Statue of Liberty. So according to J.J. Abrams, the idea for Cloverfield came while he was visiting a toy store in Japan and noticed the popularity of Godzilla toys. I honestly don't think he needed to go to a toy store in Japan to know how popular Godzilla is over there. But okay, um... Cloverfield was meant to be the equivalent of Godzilla. Um, well, we already did that in 1998 with Matthew Broderick, but okay. I'm not going to lie. Like, I like I like this a lot more than I like that Godzilla movie. I'll say that much. Um, so during filming, one of the code names or like filming titles for Cloverfield was Slusho. Slusho is a drink from JJ's... Uh, series on TV alias and in the movie of Cloverfield there's a scene where Jason Hawkins is wearing a t-shirt of Slusho um there's a whole thing with Slusho 
that just goes on and on and on throughout JJ properties. So thought that was kind of cool. Um, so, okay. In terms of the creature quickly, uh, the design, the creation of it and whatnot, uh, special effects supervisor, Nick Tom and Phil Tippett's visual effects studio. They were brought on to develop the visuals of the monster based on the ideas from artist, artist Neville page. Now, Neville's creature is more or less, it's supposed to be like this immature creature. It's in its younger stages or whatever, and it's suffering from separation anxiety, basically is how he approached it. So, I mean, it comes from another planet, obviously. It's here, it's away from its species and its its home environment, and it's lashing out. It's, um, as Matt Reeves basically said, there's nothing scarier than something huge that's spooked. <laughs> And so basically they treat it like that, you know, this, this creature is spooked. Um, I, I think they said it's something like, like, I guess real life circus elephants, uh, when they get frightened, they lash out a lot. And, um, it's, that's kind of the idea they were going with this. There was some criticism of Neville's concepts. Um, you know, they said it was very similar to the monster from the host, which was a 2006 film from South Korea. He more or less dismissed all that. He said it was merely coincidental that the idea for his monster was based on the fact that it originated from water. And he said that because the movie The Host had gone with the same approach, that's why the movies looked so much like the the creature designs looked so much alike. Eh, whatever. Uh, Art begets art, right? So, I mean, even if his ideas came somewhat from the host or whatever. Look at it as an homage and not so much as a ripoff. Much like the Blair Witch Project. Okay, so I talked about the Blair Witch recently. Uh, like recently in this episode, saying how it was a found footage film, blah, blah, blah. I also kind of mentioned about, you know, the fact that when I went into that, I was I really wanted to like it and I just walked away disappointed. Now with this, it's sort of different. I walked into this one very skeptical. I didn't expect to like it because I knew it was found footage, but I knew there was a big monster in it and that it was somewhat of a disaster film. And I do love those. So I was like, I'll give it a shot. And the thing is, is that the reason I kind of, I was skeptical, but curious was the promotion, the promotion and the marketing, much like Blair Witch for this was done very viral using the internet and using clues and having the the audience look for stuff, right? Um, it all started with the untitled teaser trailer. Basically, uh, 2007 Transformers film, um, there was a, a, a trailer that preceded it, basically showing an explosion, and then we see the Statue of Liberty head come flying at the screen, and it's laying there, and that was basically the trailer. There was... Nothing else except that it stated that it was coming from producer J.J. Abrams. Because there was no title, there was no nothing, it caused people to go online and look for stuff. So there were websites created. There was um, uh, different uh, characters had MySpaces. Like the, the, the New Yorkers, uh, you know... Um, like Rob and Beth and Lily and whatnot, all had their own MySpace account. Yes, MySpace. <laughs> We're going back that far. Um, 
there was a promotional website called jamieandteddy.com, which, okay, so in the film, there's when they're at the party, they show the one girl who's unconscious on the couch. Apparently, that's Jamie. Jamie Lasano or Lascano or something like that. And her boyfriend is supposed to be Teddy Hansen. And he's part of a website that was 11808.com. And like they did all this like stuff. They put all this stuff online, somewhat like Blair Witch, trying to make it seem real. Um, you know, it, okay, granted, you're talking about a monster in New York City, so, I mean, it's a little bit different, but they also kept that monster well hidden. We didn't see that well until we finally saw the film. So, you've got all these different things going on, and I mentioned Slusho, which Slusho even is, uh, there's a TV spot for Star Trek. I believe it was the first Star Trek film, if not, it was the second one, where anyways, uh, Uhura is... I can never say that name properly, but Uhura is at a bar or whatever, and she orders a drink of slusho. And there's also another company I should mention, uh, Tagu Rado, uh, which is another fictional company that JJ, JJ created. Uh, during Cloverfield, they were given their own website as well, and they had a working phone number. That If you went on the website for Tagu Rado, there was this phone number you could call and supposedly you could, you know, talk to someone there. But when you called up, you got a recorded message saying, all associates are unavailable right now. Please leave a message and your number and we will get back to you as soon as we can, blah, 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 blah. Um, and that company also was in the Star Trek TV spot that had Uhura ordering the drink of Slusho. So, I mean, like I said, like JJ likes to like incorporate shit all over the place and... So all of this happened during the time of Cloverfield. Um, and it, it was a fun little way to market their films, get the public involved. The, as we call it in 2021, they got to do research. Because I research shit, so I know stuff now. Um, okay. But yeah, they did that. And also something else that apparently comes up quite a bit is JJ's fascination with the number 47, which I believe there's something in terms of the helicopter that Beth gets on at the end of the, is it Beth or Lily that gets on the helicopter and it's the number on the side is like one, four, four, seven or something. And it's JJ's obsession with the number 47. So yeah, that again, a lot of little eggs, hidden things, marketing, and it was all done virally and whatnot, and it worked in a lot of ways. Um, now, in terms of the cast, the cast, the acting and whatnot, um, so interestingly enough, when people, like when actors were auditioning for this movie, they were not allowed to know what the movie was about that they were auditioning for. So... Lizzie Kaplan apparently was the one that was somewhat disappointed because she was a huge fan of the TV show Felicity, which was something that JJ and his company were behind. They, they, you know, produced that and whatnot. So when she auditioned for the role of Cloverfield, she thought she was doing a romantic film. She thought this was going to be like a ro uh, like a rom com or something like that. She was unaware that the movie was a monster disaster film. And then when she found out and she started actually being 
the character of Marlena in this film. She said the movie was very demanding on her, both mentally and physically. And that after doing this film, she said she would never film anything ever again without knowing 100% what it was she was getting into. Now, to be fair, she did show up in Castle Rock Season 2, which is a J.J. Abrams-produced show, so she clearly didn't have too much against J.J. for that, um, because she did work for him again in the future. But yeah, apparently she did not realize that this was not a rom-com. Thank God it wasn't. <laughs> um, but the other auditions apparently uh, went well, went very well. Um, but she was the one that kind of stood out because she was like, yeah, I had no clue I was getting into this. Um, in terms of the movie, uh, we'll get on to the movie, the acting, the score, or lack thereof, and everything else. Let me put it to you this way. First off, this movie is very quick-paced. It is 80 minutes, um, which, interestingly enough, is the same length of a digital videotape, or what they call a mini-DV tape. Um, which, okay, so the whole film is seen through the eyes of that that video recorder, which means it's a shaky cam film. Well, okay, I'm not a fan of this i i understand it but it drives me fucking nuts here's the thing with cloverfield i will say that in this case i feel it works because if this shit was actually going on and you are in the middle of the street new york is falling apart all around you and just crumbling and you don't know which way to turn and you got this video camera on yeah it's gonna shake a lot i will get it it's it's an annoying way to film a movie but in this case i'm okay with it because i feel it does work blair witch project i to be fair like i mean even blair witch the idea of the shaky cam works it's just i didn't like that movie i didn't care to hear you know Three kids arguing for 78 minutes about who has the fucking map. <laughs> in this one, at least the kids don't argue that much. I mean, they, there's moments where characters annoy each other, but they, it's not a constant arguing. So I'm okay with it. What I'm not all right with in this film is the character of HUD. Not so much his character, although he can be annoying at times. What bothers me is the whole time, uh, the whole thing of when he's recording versus when he's not. We know he's not recording the whole thing because this takes place over a course of something like eight hours or something like that, and we're getting 80 minutes of it. So clearly he didn't have the camera on all the time. What I don't understand is, is why the camera is on when he's watching Marlena. The girl who he has a crush on is getting attacked and bitten and eaten alive by these parasites in the subway, uh, like the subway train tracks thing area, and he keeps filming. Who the fuck does that? Put the goddamn camera down and help the girl you're supposedly crushing on. Like, but I understand at the same time, this is a found footage film and we don't get that narrative if he's not filming. So it's like at the expense of the character, we make HUD this annoying character. We make it that, you know, he's going to film when he shouldn't. But if he doesn't do that, we don't get the storyline. So... I get why it happens, but logically it makes no fucking sense. <laughs> um, cool idea to have his name be HUD, though, which is, you know, if you think about HUD, uh, heads up display, 
It kind of works because he's the dude giving us the visuals of everything that's telling us what this story is all about. So he's aptly named for his character in the film. But again, it's like there's just things like or he has to be he's supposed to be filming this. This is the part that gets me. Okay, Lily asked uh, not Lily. Who asked him? Uh, Jason. Jason asks him, can you film this for Rob's going away party? Okay, you get that it's Rob's going away party. You also know that Rob and Beth are about to have some argument. So let's film the argument so Rob can always remember he had that argument with Beth that night. Um, And then you're filming yourself going around telling everybody that Rob and Beth slept together. Who the fuck would do that? Why would you want your voice on the fucking video saying... Oh my God, do you believe they fucked? Like, oh my God, I never thought this would happen. Can you believe this shit? And I'll say, you wouldn't be filming that. But of course, we had to show that HUD is that annoying character who's like the little, little gossip girl that, oh, hey, I get some information and now I have to, I'm sorry, gossip person. I wouldn't want to offend all the women out there. But, uh, <laughs> but you get my point is that some of the times when it's like he's filming shit it's like why is he filming this he wouldn't be like or is he seriously that thick um i know some people might say tj miller is but i don't think so but anyways i don't know one thing that is kind of cool though is like uh when like when he when he when hud is filming sometimes and he falls or he trips or has an accident or whatnot those are actually unintentional um Sometimes when it was him or the cinematographer, uh, Michael Bonville, and a lot of the times was filming. It wasn't actually TJ Miller holding the camera the whole time, although he did get to it at certain points. Anyways, uh, some of those falls, some of those slips and trips and whatnot actually happened. So they left them in to give the the movie more of a reality-based feeling because you got to keep in mind, that monster in this movie is CGI. It was all green screened after, like they put it in after. So a lot of these actors had to pretend they were afraid of something. They had to panic over something they weren't actually seeing. So when you had moments where he actually fell and, you know, might have scraped himself up a bit or whatnot, they left it in because it was like, well, it, shit, it seems more like lifelike and and like accurate you know what i mean and that's what it like the the acting overall um there i saw critics online saying that they felt the acting in this movie was amateur here's my thing on that okay um i admit yes the character of hud is annoying at times and he babbles a lot Seems like he doesn't know when to record and when to keep things off the record. I've mentioned all that already. Here's my thing. I wouldn't want these these characters in this movie. I don't want them to feel like actors. I want them to feel like real people doing real things in a real world and not glamorously. So we say the acting feels amateur, but in real life, we should be amateur. Like our lives, it, I, I know people sometimes get this perception that, you know, we have to put on an image when we're out in public and whatnot. But most people don't act like they do in movies. Movies, it's it's scripted and they are to look a certain way and look at the camera a certain way and have this certain posture and this pose and this and that. I want people just being people. And so if we're going to call the acting amateur, well, that's perfect. 
because that's what I want. This is supposed to be a real life event taking place in Manhattan. And I mean, you look, look at the character of like Beth, Beth, Beth is a bit of a bitch and Rob is moping over her and because he's in love with her and he's torn apart because he's going away to Japan for some job and she shows up to his party with some other guy that, you know, he automatically assumes she's going to fuck that guy that night because, well, she already fucked him three weeks ago and he's crazy about her, but he's leaving for a job and he's upset about it. And she's upset because she wanted to show up, but shows up with another guy, not realizing that's going to piss him off. But that's how stupid real life actually is. So it kind of works. Um, Lily, the character of Lily, you know, um, wants to put a, put on a going away party and make her friends happy and do what they want to do. And she has this heart of gold. There is people like that. There is that friend that always just wants to do the best they can for people. So if they acted scripted, if it acted in a professional acting kind of manner, it wouldn't have felt as real. It wouldn't have felt natural. So I'm okay with that. Let the actors feel amateurish because in honestly, the real world is amateurish at best. So it works. The monster? The monster is great for what we do see of it. Um, it's been mentioned, I'll say it too, when it's hunched over. It does kind of look like the, the Mutos that we see six years later in Godzilla. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, kaijus are kaijus. And I mean, basically that's what this thing is as a kaiju am, am i right like i don't know uh the disaster of manhattan how do i say this it's kind of fun i like watching new york fall apart but i will say this okay so <sighs> comments that came out about this movie well after well right when it came out and well after it's still being discussed is the fact that this movie came out seven years after 9-11 and yes, for some, it's, it, I'm not going to lie. This is probably a hard movie to watch. I also wouldn't recommend watching it if you're one of those people, but, um, I love disaster films. Okay. I, I'm that guy. I love, and I don't care if they're far-fetched. I don't care if it's beyond all belief or whatever, who cares? You know, movies like Volcano, The Day After Tomorrow, Independence Day, obviously Godzilla films fucking love those. Um, anything that's sci-fi based or, you know, even the disease virus based ones. Yeah, I know. Okay. In 2020, we didn't want to really watch them, but movies like outbreak contagion, shit like that. I mean, whether it's large scale, whether it's small community, whatever, just seeing something fall apart, seeing, seeing society, you know, be destroyed. I enjoy it. You know why I enjoy it? Because I can, because it's safe because it's a movie and when it's done it's over and i can turn the tape off or the disc off or the streaming service off and i can go back to this boring world we live in where everyone's about selfies and oh hey i support this cause hashtag this hashtag that yeah that's the world we live in and i hate it so i like watching these disaster films yeah maybe maybe there's a sadistic part of me that likes watching people suffer but I also like seeing those who come out of it alive. Um, and Cloverfield, I mean, is a disaster film with a kaiju twist in Manhattan with a decapitated Statue of Liberty. I think it works awesome. I do admit, yes, it. 
at least, okay, let's put it this way. It, it, this is one of those movies that, I mean, if they made it in 2001, if its release date was supposed to be September 12th, yes, it would be pulled from the theaters automatically. I wouldn't even think twice about it. We pulled Die Hard off the shelves for a year because of 9-11. I get it. I totally would get it. But this was years later. And it wasn't like people didn't know what they were getting into. I mean, if, and I, obviously I've, I feel horrible for anyone who had to live through 9-11. I watched it on TV. Okay. I live here in Windsor. I didn't see it up close and personal. I remember watching it happen as it was and thinking to myself, my God, this is just like a movie. I didn't believe it for days. It, it didn't sink in. It was like, there was like this shock value. You know what I mean? Like it was like, no, there's no way that just happened. And I remember the night of 9-11. Interesting thing. In the mail that day, I had just received Linkin Park's Hybrid Theory. I must have had that album on repeat probably for a good seven or eight hours while I just watched footage of CNN news going, there's no way this is real. And it was, it was real. It, it, it was one of those things. And it, it led not, obviously not so much to me. I live away from it, but there was like a sense of paranoia. There was a sense of, you know, unknowing, you know, we didn't know what the world was going to be after that. We knew we were going to end up in a war, but we didn't know what was coming. What happens next? And that's what this movie played on. And it was done awesomely because of it. There are critics to this film, but there are also people that absolutely love this film. I also give the movie an extra point because Jessica Lucas is in it. And I've kind of already talked about that, <laughs> but, um, yeah. Okay. Whatever. I should move on from that. But, um, in terms of score, like I said, there's no score to talk about except the ending credit theme. And interesting about that, that doesn't start until a minute and a half into the credits. Um, I will say this, there, and whether it's a blooper, it's something I don't understand. I don't know. I, I'm not the smartest dude when it comes to tech, but I will say this. I admit my confusion because Rob questions HUD about the tape he's recording on when he's, he says, what are you recording on? There was a tape in that camera, but at the beginning of the film, we see like the opening shot where it's like, it's supposed to be that this is uh, a tape confiscated by the U S government and it's video from an SD card. I don't know. Is that like how people sometimes will use their phone for recording something and they say they're taping it or they're videotaping it, they're video recording it. Like just strikes me weird. Like he keeps saying there's a tape in it, but then at the beginning it says it's an SD card which is not a tape. So I don't know. Um, speaking of the camera, well, I quickly get into this. Uh, don't worry. This review is almost over kids. Um, <laughs> but um, in terms of the camera, I kind of like, okay, quiet place. When they did a quiet place, the, the sound or the lack thereof became its own character in Cloverfield. The camera in the first person view almost becomes its own character. And I think that is very clever. I think it's intelligent work of the direction of Matt Reeves which I might also add, people are worried about the new Batman movie. Really? Why? Matt Reeves has proven time and time again with this movie and his Planet of the Apes films and whatnot. He knows how to make a film experience worth it. Let's not worry so much about Batman. Yeah, yeah, I know. Sparkly little Twilight guy. Don't worry about it. Let Matt Reeves do what he's going to do. I'm sure Batman is going to be fucking amazing. Anyways, but 
getting back to Cloverfield, they really were able to take that that camera and make it its own character. And that that is clever work both on the writing department and Matt Reeves' direction and the cinematography of Bond villain and whatnot. Very well done between the real world feel of the characters, the shakiness of the camera, uh, which to be fair, shaky cam works in this film because I feel it's also a good metaphor for how the world shakily reacts uh, to almost everything post 9-11. Anything that happens in this world, you ever notice how it's like everything becomes chaotic and shaky all of a sudden? Like, I mean, even with the, the past year and a half of you know what? Everybody reacts so fucking weirdly to it. It's like, I always said, I wasn't afraid of the virus. I was afraid of people because that's how people don't know how to calmly approach anything. Everything is a reaction and it's fucking shaky and chaotic. So the shakiness of the camera being that it's also its own character, but it works on the the whole idea of, you know, claustrophobia and paranoia and whatnot. Um, and claustrophobic in a place as big as Manhattan at that and still made it feel very closed in and whatnot. Uh, the quickness of the film, the pacing, obviously that works really well. Um, wanting to see the monster, but them making sure they, 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 they left it till the end and whatnot. Um, everything about this film so much. I mean, granted, yes, it's got its bloopers, but there's a lot of critics and fans that love this fucking movie. Um, not all of them, there are a few who felt the movie was dumb and had nothing to say and whatever and, you know, have to point out the bloopers and its unbelievable moments. Yeah, okay, whatever. It's a disaster film with a giant monster. I mean, how realistic were you expecting it to get? <laughs> you know, HUD record situations where in actuality he probably should put the camera down. But again... Let's be fair here. We live in a world where something can be happening and people don't help. They What do they do? Take their phone out. I gotta post this on Facebook. Maybe the character of HUD was actually more accurate than we'd like to admit. Because we do, like I said, we do live in a world where people, the first thing they do is grab their phone. I gotta record this. Someone's getting beaten up on the street. I gotta record this. Everything's, I got to record this. Maybe HUD actually is us. Did we ever think about that? You know, maybe he is us. This is the world we live in. That's why I hate smart devices. But anyways, moving on. In terms of critics, I mean, Roger Ebert loved this film. Loved this film. Hello, Roger Ebert. I mean, he basically said, all in all, it's an effective film deploying its special effects well and never breaking the illusion that it is all happening as we see it. Wow, Roger Ebert giving the movie credit. Todd McCarthy of Variety said it's an old-fashioned monster movie dressed up in trendy new threads. Exactly. It's what it is. It's all it is. doesn't need to be much more than that. He said it didn't do anything in terms of, you know, monster movies that came before. He didn't do anything new. didn't have to. I still felt it worked. How do I feel about this movie? More times than not, I do not like found footage films. I'll be honest. I don't like the genre. Um, Exceptions do happen, though. Uh, Ganjium Haunted Asylum. Korean flick. Oh, my God. One of the best found footage films I've ever fucking seen. And is creepy. It works on a creepy level. I will say that. 
Leave it to the Koreans. South Koreans know how to make fucking movies, man. But in terms of this one, I like this one. I've already talked about all of it. I'm not going to repeat everything all over again. The pacing, the acting, the monster, the disaster feel, the paranoia, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. The shot at the end of the film where the monster's landing on Earth the same day Rob and Beth go to Coney Island. Did you catch that? Because I'm not going to fucking lie, I didn't. I only recently discovered that little fucking shot where we see the little ship or whatever it is land in the water. I never caught that before. Granted, I didn't see this at the theaters. I I should probably add that. So I didn't see it on the big screen. But that being said, yeah, it took me a couple watches before I caught that. I thought it was awesome, though. It's like, okay. I really enjoy this film. I like it so much that I'm going to take eight Statue of Liberty decapitated heads and give this an eight out of ten. Eight of them. Yep. I think this movie is awesome. I love this movie. And that is saying a lot because it's a found footage film that shakes all over the fucking place. And that is not my thing. Not because I get motion sickness either. I don't get that. No. It just... I'm like that. I'm that fucking dude in Star Wars, man. Stay on target. (laughs) It's like, give me a screen that stops fucking moving. Um, But yeah, I gotta say, I fucking love this movie. Eight out of ten. Easily eight out of ten. And on that note, thank you for listening. Thank you for coming back and listening to me rant like a son of a bitch. No, um... No, it's 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 a good flick, um, and I mean it works on a lot of levels, both real world and fantasy. And it's it's a movie that you can you can approach it different ways. You can escape with it, you know, and the whole idea of you know a disaster film in Manhattan, or I mean sometimes it might hit you, you know, and you realize how it plays on the paranoia of the real world, and you know how we fear everything. It, it, but it works on a lot of levels. And like I said, like that, that, the whole idea of like filming shit as it happens before our eyes. And that is this world. I mean, you go on social media and that's how many videos do you, there's a video floating around right now. Very recent. Um, granted people actually helped, but, um, Traverse city, Michigan, there's a, um, like a carnival ride like spins around whatnot not a ferris wheel but like i think they called it the magic carpet ride is what the name of the ride was and anyways as the ride like as the people that were on the ride would go up in the air the thing would tilt like it wasn't it wasn't secured down to the ground properly so it would start leaning and had nobody helped this thing would have tipped over and you would have had injuries and possibly death Anyways, you do see people go to help, but there's a video of it online because someone felt the need to pull their phone out. And it's like, yeah, like instead of instead of helping, it's like, oh, here, I'll make this viral video and everyone can see it around the world. It's like, yeah, but we didn't need that. You know what we needed? We needed your ass helping these people off this ride. Um but yeah, that's that's the world we live in, you know? We have to record everything. Everything everything is recorded, including this podcast. <laughs> but I mean, I'm a dude talking about fucking movies, man. Like 
talking about movies on a podcast that can be found pretty much anywhere these days, except YouTube. Um, not on YouTube, but you can find it on Spotify, Apple, Google, Epum Player, all over the place. Um, on social media, you can find it on Facebook and Instagram. Facebook, What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero, and Instagram at What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. The Twitter account is there, but I'm not using it that much anymore. But if you want to, at WLB Podcast Zero, it's there. Next movie, next movie. Ooh, next movie. I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you what movie it is. Let's put it this way. I'll give you a hint, okay? I like bad B movies. And I love them. So expect some of that. Um, expect a movie that makes me feel all giddy inside. So it's going to have some humor to it. I expect a movie that... Uh, it's going to have some blood and guts. Because I like that. Um... Expect a movie that I have mentioned on this podcast several times before, but never actually reviewed yet. I will say that, okay? That's all I'm going to say at this point. Um, you will love the next episode. If you're, Let's put it this way. If you're a fan of this show, you will enjoy the next episode. I'm going to have a lot of fun with it. I will say that the next episode will probably premiere in two weeks because I want to make sure I do this one right. So it's not a matter of that I'm being lazy or anything like that. It's I'm going to be working really hard on this one because this is the 100th movie review episode. And this one means a lot to me. So that's what I'm going to say for that. Um, the episode 100 is exactly what you think it will be. Hint, hint. Think about that for a minute. And on that note, thanks for tuning in. Al, take it away. You need to shut the fuck up. Hey, lick my plate, you dog dick. Call Hot Hints for the best Nintendo strategies. Oh, I give up. Don't give up. Call 1-900-HOT-HINTS and supercharge your game. Cool. I can select all my favorite games. There's hundreds of action-packed hints full of secret passwords on all the latest Nintendo games. Hot Hints is fast, fun, and it's $1.65 a minute. Now I have the power. Ask your parents before calling.